But we are in week seven of our Connect series, and we welcome you here. As you know, you've been alternating between connecting with God and connecting with others. And so however you are receiving this message, whether here in the house in Souderton, in Quakertown, online live or online later, we are really grateful for you. And we hope that God speaks to you today. We hope that God blesses you. And we hope that you connect deeper with God and with others. This morning, we want to talk specifically about connecting with others through service. And I want to emphasize connecting with others in service alongside other generations. Alongside other generations, because that's really tough. I mean, there is so much generational strife that we are all experiencing these days. But where I want to begin, though, is by saying everybody I know, regardless of age, regardless of generation, everybody I know is concerned about the future. Everybody. The glitch is that we all have different types of concerns of the future, and we have prioritized what the problems and challenges and issues are differently from one another. So depending on, on your view on politics, depending on some of our Christian spiritual convictions, depending on some of our, our upbringings and our, our past and our hopes and so on, we prioritize the concern for the future different from the person next to us. And some of that is informed by our generations. And there is all of this generational strife. Usually at this point in an introduction, I like to illustrate some type of generational strife. And so I went online, and I was looking for some appropriate memes. And I'm kind of like a stubborn type of guy where like, I couldn't find what I was looking for, so I just kept looking and looking and looking. I spent a ridiculous amount of time looking for, for these Christian memes, excuse me, not Christian at all, for these generational memes that would help make the point. Something that we could chuckle at together. Something that we could be like, ah, oh, yeah, man, that is tough out there. And something that would just help us illustrate this. And I couldn't. I couldn't. They're just too mean. Even, even for us, even for us thick-skinned Philly, New York sports fans, they are just too mean. I gave a version of this message to my own church. And one of my fellow pastors called me up later and he's like, I want those memes. <laughs> so I gave them to him. And he called me later on. He's like, oh my goodness, you can't show these in church. And of course, he thinks he's does, he does a better job finding illustrations. So he tells me later, he's like, I went online and I was looking for like what you should have done. You found all the tame ones. And that's the illustration that I can't give you the illustration. It isn't that bad. There is so much generational strife. It's not new that generations have problems with each other. It's just further amplified by, by things going viral. Like the term, OK, boomer. Okay, boomer probably makes your skin crawl at this point, right? But like, what is that? Like, had, if this term came out 10 years ago, would you even think that that's an insult? But now, now it's almost triggering. And whatever you say back to a millennial, that is also hurtful. And it's not because we've become oversensitive. It's not because we've become soft. It's because we've been insulting each other constantly. And it starts feeling like a, an attack continuously. Oh, we have things going on. But the future is that we have to serve together across generations. 
And there's this really great passage in Scripture that helps illustrate the succession of power from one generation to another. Of these two men who were uniquely talented, very brave, they came from different generations. I'm sure they had different personality types and different strengths. But they were able to segue from one generation to the other, transferring authority and power from one to the next. And that story is found in 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want to tell you the story of Elijah and Elisha. Now, they didn't do us any favors when they named them. So I want to nickname them for you. Elijah the Boomer and Elisha the Millennial. So you can keep track which one is older and which one is younger. Now, before we get to the passage of 2 Kings, I just want to give you just a little bit of context. The book of 1 Kings tells you all about the story of Elijah. He's like the prophet of Israel. He is amazing. He is such an impressive person that when, when, when Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said to him, like, some think that you're like the second coming of Elijah. Okay, so Elijah, you just have to know, he is like a rock star in like the company of prophets type of a thing, Okay. This story takes place about 850 years before Jesus comes onto the scene, about 100 and maybe 50 years after King David has, has take, after King David uh, was born. So it's, it's right in between that time period, okay? So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. I mean, here you just see just like a beautiful, just snapshot of their relationship. They're close. The one tells the other, you don't even have to go with me anymore. I, I got this. And the other one says, I'm not leaving you. That's beautiful. We continue on. Verse 3. Then the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. I, I just think that's just kind of funny. Like, just like the way that they kind of just like, you know, record this story. Do you know that this has happened? Yes, be quiet. And there's like a repetition that, that, that starts to happen here. And then there's also like this peculiar thing, like they all know that, that this is going to happen today. Like, how do they know? I mean, they're a company of prophets, so they're supposed to know something, but like they all know that it's today. And the scene keeps repeating itself, where like they go to a different city, and Elijah the boomer says, you don't have to go with me. And Elisha says, as surely as God lives and as you live, I'm going to keep walking with you, alongside you, into this unknown. And I just love how, how verse 6 just says, so the two of them walked on. So the two of them walked on. Could we do that in our respective generations? Walk alongside together. Verse 7 says, Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elisha took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And then the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over onto dry ground. A lot happening here. Fifty men. Now that's significant, because in the chapter before, the last time Elijah saw fifty men, they were armed soldiers sent by the king that were coming to get him to give like a, a positive prophecy to King Ahaziah. King Ahaziah is a wicked king. He worships other gods and he had this accident in his palace where he injured himself. 
Now, he doesn't worship the God that Elijah is, is preaching about, but he's desperate. So he summons Elijah for like this kind of like made-to-order prophecy, basically. He's saying, I want you to give me good news that something good is going to happen to me, that I'm going to be okay. And Elijah doesn't do that. Elijah can't just give a made-to-order type of prophecy like that. And, and Ahaziah wants to intimidate Elijah, so he sends 50 armed soldiers to bring him in. And when they come and like, they have like, this little moment between the, the, between the general and, and Elijah, they're going to go arrest him and like, kind of bring him in by force. And Elijah calls for God's help, and the 50 men are destroyed. Watch what you say to a prophet. King Ahaziah doesn't get the message. So you know what he does? He sends 50 more, and the same exact thing happens. Because you can't mess with a prophet. This time, on the banks of the, Jericho, of, of the Jordan River, these 50 men from the, prophets, the, the fellow prophets of God, they are giving homage. And the, the writer of 2 Kings keeps weaving like these, these tapestries and these repeated themes all throughout. This time, these 50 men are blessing him, are thanking him. Are, they're saying, we, we are going to continue serving the same God that you serve. It's beautiful. And then Elijah then rolls up his cloak and, and then strikes the water and the waters separate. This is like when a movie studio tries to recreate like a famous iconic scene, okay? Like, you know, Moses, you know, grabs the staff and the waters of the Red Sea separate. Similarly, when the Ark of the Covenant is coming through with, with Joshua, that same river is, separates. And now they find themselves on the other side of, of the Jordan and they're about to walk east excuse me, they're about to walk west. They're about to walk west. So before they were going into the promised land, now Elijah's going to walk into the promised land of God's presence. It's really incredible. And the water separates, and it is amazing. It's a miracle. Again, Elijah is like a rock star in the company of prophets. Nothing can go wrong. This is a beautiful moment. It is a great story. Verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha replies, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Wait, what? What was wrong with the original portion that I was going to give you? A double portion of your spirit? What is this, some type of like generational competition? Is, is Elisha a greedy? I mean, usually when like a mentor figure says something like, hey, what can I do for you? The student usually says, oh no, you've done so much for me already. I couldn't possibly ask for another thing. Thank you so much. And the, the mentor says, great, glad, glad that, you're, that you're satisfied. Not this guy. Elisha says, whatever you're going to give me, give me double. Now, before you even think it, some of you are thinking, ah, oh, sounds like a millennial. Don't, because you'd be misunderstanding this passage, and you'd be misunderstanding millennials. We'll come back to that. Verse 10, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. 
And Elisha saw him no more, and then he took his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crosses back over. Oh, so much to unpack there. So much to unpack. But I want to focus on two principles as it relates to our, our, our generations. And the first is this. To serve together, generations must connect with each other with honor. To serve together, generations must connect with each other with honor. You see so much honor between Elijah and Elisha. And that's something that I'm not seeing as much, that I would, as, much as I would like to see these days. I'm in my 40s, and I'm in that in-between generation between the boomers and the millennials. I'm, I'm what's called a Gen Xer. Now, no Gen Xer actually likes the term Gen X, okay? We don't like it. It's when the sociologists were trying to figure out a, a unifying attribute for my age group, and they're like, we're going to come back to this later. Just put an X on it right now for now. <laughs> and it just stuck. They say that we're aloof. They say that we're cynical. They say that we're apathetic. I don't know. Sociologists. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know if it's true. Because we refuse to fill out the questionnaires that they send to us so they can understand us more. We're Gen Xers. Now, I was amused for just a hot minute at all the feuding going on between the boomers and the millennials. Okay, I've been educated by boomers. I spent a lot of time with millennials. I feel like I speak both languages pretty well. And I, very quickly, I started to understand, like, this isn't funny anymore. There are some real tensions between these respective generations. And I also feel for the builders who, who, get, who have their own generation, who have done extraordinary things in this country. And, and they feel like, I love the boomers, but I'm not one. And I also feel for the Gen Zs, the Gen Zs who are like in their 20s and under right now. And they're saying, hey, I love the millennials, but we're different. And there's all this generational tension, and it's not funny anymore. I started to understand how, how not funny it was when we had like this really intense meeting in our church. We were going through like this, this significant organizational change. And it was painful. It meant that people's positions were, were changing. It meant that our, our, some of the philosophy of our ministry was going to be shifting. And it was going to be a really good outcome that we were hopefully going to get to, but it was going to come at a great, great price. So we had this really incredible meeting, uh, like a staff meeting, and the boomer led this meeting. And, and he's, he's you know, our, our, uh, the leader of the organization. And he, he gave us the whole thing from A to Z and all the things that went into the decision, the timelines, and we were going to do this, but we decided to do this. And he shared so much, so openly and so honestly. There were, there were times where, where I could tell that the emotion was going to get to him. It was pretty powerful. As, one, as satisfied as one could be in a meeting like that, I, I walked out of the, 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 the meeting, and I was walking alongside one of my millennial friends. And I asked him how, what he felt about the meeting, and he's like, I was kind of disappointed, to be honest with you. I'm like, oh no, why? I just wish that our boomer leader would be more authentic 
It would be more honest. And it would be more relatable. And I was confused. I was stunned. I was like, in my mind, I, I thought he was. But I didn't want to debate, because that's not the time for debate. So I just asked follow-up questions. What, what were you looking for? What did you hear? What did you not see? And he kept using the word authenticity. And then he asked me what I thought about it. And I said, well, to be honest with you, that's the most authentic I've ever seen him. I think I had the opposite experience than you did. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. I mean, boomers are raised by Generation GI and older builders. And they are, they are very stoic generations. You don't bleed on the floor. You don't bring your problems into the microphone. You don't bring your problems in public. You deal with those things privately. In fact, when you have a microphone, you try, to, you try to lead people from point A to point B. You try to raise the morale. You try to encourage. You try to lead. You try to inspire. That's, that's the boomer culture. Millennials are not afraid of feelings. And they want to see that you feel it too. And when one person was also being, one person was being authentic, the other person was looking for authenticity, but they were almost like talking past each other. And as a Gen Xer, I see this because I'm able to code switch and bridge between both generations. And finally, Gen X has a reason to help in society, right? If, if we can recognize this moment, fellow Gen Xers, this is our time to be the bridgers, to be the people who are saying, no, the boomers saying this, and no, the millennials saying this. You guys actually agree. You both value authenticity. I just started pursuing a doctorate of ministry degree to help churches move from a boomer-led church to a younger generation-led church because there's going to be a transfer of power and we're not ready for it. I'm very interested in generational studies. Now, uh, there's, there's a chart here that, that tells you a little bit about these generations. They're amazing. They're amazing because people are amazing. The GI, or the greatest generation, they have been through two world wars and a Great Depression, and there's still some of them with us. If you're here today and you're a member of the greatest generation, we are so grateful that you are with us. God bless you and thank you for being here and thank you for all that you have been doing. To those not in that generation, I just want to encourage you to hear their stories as much as possible. They're amazing. The builder generation, born between 1928 and 1945, they're the generation that's kind of responsible for help building the America that we live in. They built hospitals and schools and companies and, and all sorts of infrastructures and churches, much like this one. The boomers, who I have a, a high regard for, I like to tease a little bit because that's like one of my love languages. But in truth, in truth, I have a high regard for it. The boomers are extraordinary at maximizing, at figuring out sustainability, at, at improving systems. They're really, really impressive in that way. And if you want to imitate boomer culture, that's one way to do it. We already talked about Gen X. The millennials are born between 1980 and 1995. Among the things that I love most about the millennials is that they are a large, powerful force that have had a profound impact on our cultural landscape. They speak up for people. They call for justice. They call for love. They call for hope. They're a really impressive generation. Then there's Generation Z, born between 1996 and 2010. They're our most ethnically and racially diverse generation. They're digital natives, 
and they do want you to know that they are different than millennials. And they are in their 20s, they're joining your workforce. You should spend time with them and get to know them because they are also borrowing the wisdom from other generations and you might find that you have a lot in common with them. Our current youngest generation is called Generation Alpha, born between 2011 and 2025. And they've obviously been significantly impacted by the pandemic. I have a kindergartner who had to begin kindergarten over Zoom, and it was the most incredible thing. I mean, like, I'd be like asking her questions like, well, did the teacher email you? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to get over that, right? They are going to be an extremely innovative generation. I can't wait to see what they do. Now, I know some of these generational studies gets kind of heady and, 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 and so on, but here's why it matters. Because these people are our family. Here's a picture of my family. This is my wife, Susan, and we have two sons, members of, of Gen Z, and these two daughters who are the older members of the Alpha generation. And across your families, you have various loved ones from different generations that you are trying to live with and that you are trying to love and that you are trying to serve. And I spend a lot of time talking about generations and I hear some of my older friends saying, I am so burdened for my kids and my grandkids. It keeps me up at night. I didn't think these were going to be some of our problems. And some of the burdens are generational. And some of the glitches are because we're talking past each other from various echo chambers and we're misfiring. And I want to encourage you to find people from other generations and spend time with them to really learn what they think. Beyond the generational trends, beyond the generalizations that I've given you. Because what you're going to find are people saying things like, well, technically I'm born in this generation, but I really identify with this over here. Actually, I think I'm born in the wrong time. I think I'm actually more like this than this. And you're going to find that you have a lot more in common with different types of people than you may have realized. And when you do that, you honor people. When you do that, you give honor and you receive honor. And we see that in Elijah and Elisha because generations must connect with each other and honor each other. That's the first. The second principle is to serve together. Generations must connect by empowering one another. We have to empower one another. So we go back to this moment of, of Elijah's request for a double portion. I mean, what is that? I mean, it's not like going after the service and asking for like a, a double portion of Philadelphia pretzels, right? It's a little different than that. By the way, that was, a, that was like a three-point alliteration. Did you, did you catch the, the triple P's there? I get, I get bonus points for that. Double portion filled out your pretzels, please. Four. <laughs> Whatever you're going to give me, I want double of. I mean, that is quite the request. And it's not actually selfish at all, and I'll explain a little bit here. In Deuteronomy 21, and we have a little bit of a hint of this when, when, when Elijah's being taken up into heaven. In Deuteronomy 21, whenever there was a son that was not, that was not being treated fairly, or maybe the patriarch of the family didn't love that, that son's mother, that son was supposed to receive a double portion of the inheritance. Now, that's a little different than Elijah and Elisha, of course, but this is Elisha's way of saying, you are the father that I never had. I want to carry your name. I want to carry your legacy. I want to double it 
and I'm seeking the double portion in the tradition. That, that, that's one part of the explanation. The other part of the explanation that really moves me is that he's not asking to be twice as great as Elijah, his mentor. He's asking God for twice the dependency on him. God, this is an extraordinary work that you are calling me to. I'm going to need twice as much help than what you gave Elijah. I need a double portion of blessing. And I'm very drawn to that. I'm very drawn to that. And then what happens? Eli, Elisha picks up the cloak and, and, he, and, he, and he does a very similar thing and he puts it in the water and he's able to go back through the water. And then later in that same chapter, he's going to purify a well for a community of people so they can have clean water. And then soon after that, these are all demonstrations of power that God has blessed him. And then after that, there's, it becomes like this really peculiar part at the end of 2 Kings 2, where like all these young men, the next generation, come after Elisha to intimidate him, similar, similar to how Elijah was being intimidated as well. And they're, they're trying to get him to stop prophesying and stop preaching the message of, of God. And they're trying to intimidate him. And they're bullying him. And again, like we keep saying, you can't bully a prophet of God. And as you're reading along, Elisha calls to God for help and you're expecting the fire to come down from heaven again. But instead, these wild bears come out of nowhere and, and maul 42 of the, of the young men who started this, like, this riot type of mob. Be careful what you say to me about the Yankees and Giants after the service. <laughs> a pterodactyl will come out of nowhere. I kid, I kid, I kid. Boomers, builders, would you ask God for the double portion blessing for younger generations? Because we need it. We're going to need all the help that God can give us. Would you be willing to ask God for the double portion of that blessing? Because we need it. I want to serve alongside boomers. I want to serve alongside millennials. And I get this opportunity to do that in, in my context. And I found over and over that they have so much in common together. I'll tell you a quick story that connected some of the dots for me. I was sitting with, with a boomer colleague and we were making a decision and I was advocating for this particular outcome. And he was a classic boomer. Oxford shirt, khaki pants, loafers, the office was a boomer office, classic boomer. And he was excellent, excellent at thinking through systems, at maximizing. He was highly skilled in, 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 in all these sorts of ways. And the outcome that I was, I was advocating for, he agreed to Im immediately. And I was surprised because I kind of thought we were negotiating. And he's like, yeah, we should totally do that. Let's do that. And I kind of just like paused for a second. I'm like, you realize this isn't like what most baby boomers would, would suggest. Like this is gonna cost a lot of money and like this isn't really great for the bottom line. And he paused for a moment because I, I feel like I insulted him a little bit but he didn't let on on that. He's like, well, you know, this is gonna help people. And at the end of the day, this is what it's about. God and people. Oh, I loved this meeting and I loved, I loved that boomer and I love working with boomers like that. Fast forward a little bit. I'm now in my office with a classic millennial. And we're also trying to make a decision. We're collaborating on something. 
And I'm having this hard time arriving to the same conclusion as my friends. And I keep asking questions and I keep, what, what, am, I, what am I missing here? There's, there seems to be a glitch going on here. And finally, my, my, my boomer friend, she just, she just had it with me. And she's like, Tim, my heart is with the people at the back door. My heart is with those who, who we continue to leave out. The people who are not sure if they want to come into this space or not, if they're going to feel safe, if they're going to be respected, if they're going to be valued. Jesus teaches us to leave the 99 and to go after the one. And I'm advocating for the one. And I got it. Yes, I totally get it. You, you want a decision that's going to really, really help people, but not all the people, including the individual. You don't want anyone to be left out. I got it. And it was so much in common. The millennial had so much in common with, with a boomer that I was with just, just a short while ago. We have so much in common generationally. We just communicate it very differently from each other. We express our values differently, despite the fact that we have so many common values. And we need to figure out how to empower each other. And one way to do that is to make decisions together. It's to sit in a room together and process some of these things out. Because I tell you the truth, I want to work with all the generations. And the church needs all the generations to change the world for the glory of Jesus. Because we're not, just fo we're not following Elijah or Elisha. We're following the kingdom of Jesus, to love Jesus and to proclaim his message of love and hope and redemption to a world that is thirsty for it. What if we could honor and empower each other so that we could walk alongside each other into this unknown the very same way that Elijah and Elisha were walking into the unknown? As I'm wrapping up here, I'll tell you this. I'm one of the fortunate ones who has a great relationship with his parents. I love my parents. Now, they're not right on everything, but I really love my parents. And I want them to be honored in this, this final season of their lives. And I don't know if, like, you know, similar to Elijah, like a chariot of fire is going to take them up into heaven, and I'm going to be yelling, Dad, Mom! Like, I kind of think it's probably going to be more like, you know, a, a jet blue chariot taking them down to, like, you know, Fort Myers, Florida, instead of heaven first. But it's going to be something like that. But I want them to be honored. And I hope... I hope that, that as I age, people will walk alongside me until the end and into this unknown. And I hope this happens in my generation. And I hope this happens for younger generations, that the generations after them will, will, will follow them also into the unknown. Because there is so much at stake. But because God is so great and how God is a God of generations, there is so much good that can be accomplished if we serve alongside together. And so friends, with honor, with empowerment, maybe we, may we be willing to walk alongside together for the sake of Jesus, to connect with others so that we can make a profound impact for the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we are so thankful for the incredible stories that are found in our scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for examples like Elijah and Elisha, but we also thank you, Lord, for great examples that we have across all generations. People that have taught us and led us and blessed us in all sorts of ways. May we be faithful, Lord, with these opportunities. 
And may you help us, Lord, as we try to honor and empower one another for your sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.